Welcome to the Dead Format, episode 79. My name is Ian McCune, and I'm joined tonight by MTG Arena early adopter Tom Smiley, and we're going to talk about Legacy. I was 100% on board early with that. I don't know if I'm on board anymore. When was the last time you logged in? <laughs> probably, probably eight months ago. I don't know. It's not as bad as I thought, honestly. I mean, when when did we start to pump it up? It was like the beginning of last summer, right? What what is when we start having a podcast? No, when we started to like talk about Arena, where I was like, "Oh, this is great." Oh, I don't remember ever saying. That. I don't know if we ever said that, did we? Okay, maybe maybe we didn't, but I definitely played some, and I thought it was at the beginning of last summer. So. You definitely did play, yeah. That sounds about right to me. But. So about about that long. I remember you saying that you were just doing it so you had a collection, but I, I don't know if uh, I don't know if you were really into it, were you? I I don't think I was. This is a weird sidebar, man. I just didn't have an intro, and that just came out of my mouth. So. I I thought it was gonna end up being something Patriots related. You're like the <laughs> the Dynasty Ender Thomas Smiley. <laughs> so yeah, so, uh, there was like a speaking of NFL though. If you're gonna, if you want to go this direction, this was a. If you started watching NFL football this week, how disappointing is the rest of your life going to be? The, these playoff games this weekend were absolutely insane. And I I honestly, I feel I feel bad when the Patriots lose. Like, we, we all kind of knew that it was coming. We weren't playing great down the stretch and we weren't getting better. But to see the Bills come out to such a great start, I was rooting for them. And I was rooting for our buddy Nate Golia and... To have that game end like that was was brutal. Yeah, it's hard. Like you, you kind of have to root for the Bills. I don't know why. If it's just like they've been bad for a while, or the Texans are just like this soulless franchise, like this very generic sort of. Well, you color gotta scheme. like you gotta like JJ Watt, right? <sighs> yeah, yeah. No, I like JJ Watt enough, I guess. Okay. I don't know. He's kind of a meathead. I like TJ Watt. <laughs> I I like what he did to raise money for the community after the floods. I like what he does with the true, community true. service. He's like, obviously, he's a great football player too, but I like more what he does off the field. Mm-hmm. Bro, how uh, how cool was it that Josh McCown gets in his first playoff game at age 40? You all related? Bro, talk about representation, right? Like, if there's one thing Watsy's taught us in the last two years or whatever it's that representation matters right and you know we might not feel that on a day-to-day basis but when uh when a quarterback with a gaelic last name comes in and he's a uh he's a 40 something like yourself like that's representation for us right it is uh i feel like there could be like an inspirational movie made about it and it would be better to watch it (laughs) (laughs) all right yeah, but maybe you can win a Golden Globe, bro. Oh, man. Okay, okay. So, I want to get into magic, but the, the Golden Globe speeches yesterday <laughs> were awesome. Like, yeah. I I don't care if you agree with uh, Ricky Gervais's, like, worldview. His comments were outstanding. Yeah, bro, he's on fire. He's just fucking hilarious. Have you watched that show? I've never watched it. I have not afterlife i think it's called so i i i honestly i had no idea but i i 
didn't even watch the Golden Globes, but people told me I needed to watch the intro and his comments throughout the thing. And I was like, this guy does not care at all. That's amazing. <laughs> it's absolutely amazing. It was, bro. It was it was pretty amazing. Dude, that so that was uh that was part of my entertainment this weekend besides the NFL. And then I also found I messaged you about this. I found an episode of Money Draft from February twenty nineteen. So I stopped using my iPhone. I used to have two phones and the iPhone was a work phone. And that's what I used to listen to podcasts on. So when I switched to just using my Android, I stopped. I lost a lot of podcasts, right? And like the ones I could remember, I added to my my Android. But like some of them I lost. And like Money Draft used to only publish it like once every three months or six months or something. So I kind of forgot about it. And their, their episode before that, I want to say like 73 or whatever, the, the one at the end of 2018 was was probably their worst episode. It was really awful. But they, uh, the episode that came out in 2019, it was probably the first Magic podcast I've listened to in like two months that wasn't like proof proofreading ours or whatever. Fucking fire, bro. Really? I um, So I, ha- I have an iPhone and I have the iPhone app and I need to go back and delete all of the podcasts or in queue because... I don't drive anymore and I used to listen to podcasts on my way to work and now I walk to work and I don't have time to so I definitely did not check out that episode dude it's amazing you remember money draft like did you listen to it okay so for people who might not know it I guess it's uh Marcel from formerly from brainstorm brewery and Jason and uh this dude slick jagger and jr I don't know where they're from exactly, but they're. I like, think one of them's from like Philly or Brooklyn, because the, oh yeah yeah police, no the police sirens and everything would be outside the windows. They would be recording. Yeah, geographically they're from Jersey and Manhattan right now, but um, it's it's like a lifestyle podcast. I want to say like uh, it, it was a magic podcast ostensibly, and then it sort of morphed into this other thing. And honestly, man, I was thinking about it. I think that that's my favorite magic podcast because it has like the character of like a leaving a legacy but like the polish of like a brainstorm brewery the alcohol of like a a heavy meta or something the intellect of our podcast and the irreverence of like tusk talk it it just like hits like all the all the points i think that's i don't know that's a high bar for somebody who would be like new to be like, oh man, that sounds like the greatest podcast ever to turn in, like tune into an episode and just be like, Ian, what is wrong with you? Well, so here's the thing. And, and that could definitely happen. Like if you don't know these characters, especially, I think that's likely to happen. But th- when they say, they don't say much, but when they do say something, it's, it's very right. You know, like I wouldn't say that there are many people who understand the ins and outs of paper and digital magic economy the way that you and I do like vendors basically would be the the extent not even all vendors like you know 50% or something of vendors understand it very well right like Marcel and JR those guys understand it exceptionally like they were already on like the how are we going to do historic mythics like way before it ever became a problem or it ever even got mentioned like they were already thinking through like the how does post rotation arena work back you know a year ago mm-hmm. so like they, they really understand it and i just couldn't say enough good things about that podcast but uh 
one thing they were talking about was going off the grid, like going back to flip phone. And I don't know if I told you my friend Jim did that recently. Bro, it's so tempting right now. You you don't think you would miss it? Of course you'd miss it, bro. I mean, that's the thing, right? It's like an addiction. Okay. Like you'd miss cigarettes, right? Or you'd miss anything. But Sure. Look, I can get I can get behind that, but I feel like there's like there are too many times where you would want to do something that was difficult to do with a flip phone that having a smartphone would make so much easier, right? Like yeah. your navigation or directions or buying movie tickets or just doing anything that your smartphone can do that your razor cannot do. For those of you that don't remember the hot phone in the early 2000s, it was the Motorola Razor. Bro, speaking of movie tickets, are you coming to see 1917? So, it depends. It depends on when you guys go get to go, like, get to go see it. I definitely couldn't do it this past Saturday because I was busy. I was I was tuned in to watching watching the Patriots. But if uh, if you do it this weekend and I get enough time, maybe I can maybe I can pull it off. Yeah, our goal is to go before football, so like you know noon or something. Okay. Yeah, I back, I might be, be able to pull that off. Cool, man. Yeah, it should be uh it should be a lot of fun. Did you watch any of the SCG this weekend? I did not. I followed a little bit of the action on Twitter. Um I know our boy Kevin Jones did really well. Yeah. I, I did not I did not watch any of the coverage. It was he, it was modern, right? Yeah, it was modern. So this is a callback to like six weeks ago. Or I guess it was only four weeks ago, when we surmised that the SCG modern in Columbus could have more players than the modern GP in Columbus, if you recall, that had 648, and this had 870, I believe. So beat it by 220. Yeah, I mean, when we saw the super low numbers for the Grand Prix, I I mean, I think we we both thought that the SCG had to be more. But I think it had to be at least equal, yeah. I and mean, this is this is just wild to like beat S- it. SCG almost has more incentive to play in it because there's still the big tournament that you can qualify for. Like, there's a lot of things that SCG has going on that Grand Prix just sort of like dropped the ball on that used to have, but isn't around anymore. Yeah, bro, it's just so crazy to to beat it that soundly. And there were some names, like, I didn't watch the coverage, I just looked at the results, but there was, like, one of the teams was, like, Party and Nass, you know, like, Seth Manfield was there, and Ely Cassis, I, I don't know, there's probably a hundred other people I'm not remembering, but mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say is, it, there were a ton of Platinums there, you know, like, quote-unquote Platinums. No Platinums anymore. Speaking right. of that, there was the... I can't remember if we talked about this last week, but there was that spreadsheet that somebody posted on Twitter (laughs) of all of the people who would have made platinum given their results, but neither like didn't, didn't make the upgrade to the big league and didn't make rivals. So they basically got nothing for their really good performances. Heartbreaking, bro. Yeah. Just, yeah. So when we were doing the research, or I was doing the research for last episode, uh, one thing I was doing was fucking around Google Trends, and I sent you at least one, maybe a couple of those graphs that I made that were like tracking random things over the course of the decade. Now, I 
Uh, first off, I don't think I've ever seen one of those. Except, I'm sorry. No. You sent me one of those for the Google trend for street sweepers. After, <laughs> yes, after right. our Nelly episode. You're right. And I hadn't, I hadn't seen one since then. All right, well, I did this really complex one to sort of circumvent the way that they limit your, your comparisons. That was like magic-specific words tracked over time. And I thought that, that one was super interesting, but one of the, like, this led me down this whole rabbit hole of, like, comparing Google to YouTube to other search avenues. And one thing I didn't notice, bro, was, like, the command zone, this podcast, the command zone, or YouTube show, I guess I should call it, that yep. gets over, like, sometimes over a million views on their episodes. Yeah, and the professor, I think, just hit over half a million subscribers or something like that. Like He did, yeah. There, There's a ton of YouTube content that is extremely popular. But I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's, like, just me, but I don't trust the number of views that videos get on YouTube. I just, like, I, I look at our SoundCloud download statistics and see, like, everything that's going on with it and half half of the people that are looking at it are just bots right yeah on youtube in general you mean yeah i, I would say just in any of those online things that are tracked yeah they're not those numbers aren't real numbers and maybe i'm being like really pessimistic and and the command zone does get a million views but it's very unlikely that that's true well i mean so it's funny because it's sort of intersecting with my job now but like, yes, there is there is random noise in there, but it's all relative to each other, right? So those command zone videos with, with the number of views they're getting can be compared to, you know, like a STG video or any other video on YouTube that was magic related, right? So even if it's not the absolute number of 1.2 million, the point is that it's outperforming the other content by so much, right? Oh, okay. Yes, I completely agree with that. And I, I've been, like, wanting to get into YouTube for a while. Not with this specifically, but just, like, other other sorts of videos, other interests. And I, I was thinking about uploading this show. I'm curious if people would be interested. Uploading, like, a 10 to 15 minute version of this show. Like, just, like, the, the clips, like, highlight version, I guess. With your beautiful fight face and a bottle of Jameson in the background? Bro, well, here's the thing, right? I'm not really taking advantage of what God has given me. Like, I have a terrible voice, and I'm just so beautiful that, like, I'm the opposite. You know, people talk about being made for radio. I'm actually the opposite. I'm awful for radio. So I'm really not using my talents very well is how I feel. Okay. I I think that you could – we could pull <laughs> off – we could pull off a YouTube channel – yeah. I think that of all of the other legacy-based podcasts, we're better equipped to make that jump. I, I yeah, we're you more know, han we're more handsome than every other legacy podcast. I'm not gonna say that I know what the guys from Legacy Breakfast look like necessarily. I mean, like they're on fire right now, right? <laughs> no, dude, they're in England. Oh, okay. No, no, my bad. My bad. <laughs> but, yeah, no. I, I think uh, I think that's probably a safe bet. I don't know. Also, shout out to uh, Joe Dyer for bringing back that column. Speak, 
your Australian thing reminded me of this. Is he Australian? He, no, he took that over from from uh, Sean Brown. Though. That was Sean oh, Brown's thing, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. So that was a really yeah. good. That was a really good article that he released. It was extremely in depth. I think it took me like 10, 15 minutes to read it, and it was great. Yeah, so that's like the this week in legacy sort of MTG Goldfish article that everybody's probably seen at some point in time, but it's back on the regular now with with Joe Dyer doing it, and it was awesome. the The first installment was magnificent. Uh, hope he keeps that up. I offered to share our show notes with him if he ever needs some inspiration. <laughs> But, uh, he didn't I feel like the quality of his article would have been greatly diminished if he yeah. went off of anything <laughs> that we wrote. <laughs> well, actually, this is the one week it probably wouldn't have, but of the other 77, it would have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the, also, the I wanted to shout out the Legacy Pit guys, because they've been doing a whole bunch of shit, and it's pretty awesome. Yeah, they they posted their YouTube growth numbers, like how quickly their channel was rising and how it compared to other Magic channels, and they're doing they're doing great work. Yeah, no doubt. So did you want to talk about spoilers this week? Because there's been like a steady stream of spoilers since last week, I want to say. So no, I'm really only prepared to talk about one. And I think that we should just group them all together. So the Red Storm Graveyard Enchantment. That, like, everybody's been talking about that. And I feel like we want to group all of our spoilers together and do it at once. Yeah, because I, I don't want true. the next month or three weeks or two weeks or whatever to be like, all right, here are the spoilers, and then everybody gets bored and fucking stops listening. Well, I think next week is everything's gonna have been spoiled already. All right, then let's do it next week. So we'll do a full spoiler for Theros next week. Yeah, and then we'll do all a right. deck dump, and I'll just fucking shoot myself in the face. <laughs> all right, we're committing to it, bro. We gotta quantify shit this time. And we gotta we gotta have a monetary wager, or if you know. Now you want to bet money after you've lost like everything. I have not. Well, we've never quantified shit. So you select some statements that I make that are wrong, and flaunt them. But I feel like <laughs> if if we were going on a, I have five confidence points. How many confidence points do you have? You know that sort of across the board. Okay. I feel like I would actually be in pretty good shape right now. Okay. Uh, all right. So, yeah. You want to make that happen? We can definitely make that happen. All right, let's game. Uh, we got, we got a bottle of Jameson on the yes. line for the person with the, the highest quality predictions. We need to figure out how we're going to define that, but I'm, I'm, I'm confident. Oh, bro, we used the So Many Insane Plays model. I mean, they, they've been an inspiration to this podcast for so long that i mean they they already have the best system built we might as well just use that do they yeah so basically they they take turns picking like a number that they think is going to show up for a card like one of them will say like i think eight copies will show up in the top eight of challenges in the next three months i just fell asleep (laughs) (laughs) all right bro so this week in addition to the nfl playoffs we had the legacy format playoffs. Or I don't even know to call it playoff. Like, is that their name? Watsy's name for it? I don't know. It's the the, the culmination for- format championships. Yeah, there you go. The culmination of the year long qualifiers and best performers of the year. The small tournament, right? This yep. was this was only people who qualified. 
And this was pretty much the pinnacle, I guess, of online legacy play because you're qualifying for the mocks, right? Yes. I, I would definitely go, go as far as to say that. Yeah. So this is a pretty big tournament, and we had people clearly showing up with what they what they thought was the best deck. Like, nobody's going to just mail this in, right? And actually, I did notice a couple people who were playing in multiple championships. So some people might have mailed it in, but for the but, most part, people are taking this as seriously as possible. Yeah, if you're qualifying for, like, multiple championships like that, right? Like, you might not be able to go all in on one of them, but you for damn well sure prepared for everything. Yeah. So the people that are, like not only getting all of those format points, but top eighting for the big events at the end of the year, they're playing a lot of Magic Online. So to the average player, they played enough of the format for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And you're going to know all these names, right? They're going to they're gonna be names that you either watch stream or you hear us talk about a lot or you know you follow on Twitter and see their, their thoughts on the format. A lot of them have their own content avenues, so... Uh, it was a pretty stacked tournament, small yep. stacked tournament, and it was won by, drum roll, <sighs> Osmandius five color aggro <laughs> loam. So, so Adam Wallace in our Discord was quick to post up the deck list and say, "Man, these five color decks are getting ridiculous with Astrolabe. Like we need to ban it." And I was like, "All right, let me take a look at this deck and." five color no astrolabe basically just old school four color loam with oko so was adam being serious when he said that no he was being sarcastic okay because i was gonna say we had been saying oh you know what like we maybe astrolabe needs to go maybe it's doing crazy things and gotcha making all of these decks just become a big blob and he he got me he baited me i was like oh man let me look at this I gotcha. And, uh, nope, just five colors worth of dual lands, punishing fire, double black mana. Yeah. Yeah, this this deck is an abomination. And when you look at, I mean, obviously it's a good deck, and I'm not trying to, to shit on it or something. I just mean, like, in terms of deck building, right? Like, like trying to fundamentals or whatever of legacy... Like I know why this deck does well. It's it's a formula that's worked for a long time with just the addition of Oko really is is the only change from like this deck three years ago, right? Right, but so we had talked a lot about like the decline and downfall of Chalice and how yep. Chalice wasn't good anymore, nobody was playing it. There weren't any great Chalice shells, and people stopped respecting it as a card like when you look at the the deck considerations with people running a certain number of one drops where they might have had to have a way of dealing with chalice in the past they could just sort of sort of breeze by it and it's a chalice deck and that's one of the reasons why it did so well you're absolutely right about that and that's you know we see in second and third place we see blue red delver decks and the thing the thing about blue-red that we've always talked about is the only card that you have with any flexibility that can handle artifacts is a braid. So sometimes you'll see, like, you know, one a braid, 
other times people have played like a card like set adrift maybe to get out to potentially have an out to chalice but really you know in green if you go into red green you get cards like uh ancient grudge and uh cinder vines and if you're in bug you just have cards like abrupt decay in your main deck yep so you and and also oko i'm sorry in rug you have main deck okos that could handle a game one chalice but we're seeing this move to blue red delver like this more efficient get under you delver and that is less equipped to handle chalice exactly like you said yeah i i think that that was the the five color loam deck was probably a metagame choice seeing that the top delver players were picking up blue red because if you look at a tournament like this you're going to see a lot of those players are going to pick up delver and play it and we saw blue red delver in second and third i really like bob's list um i've heard of learn to love but i don't know who they are it's that dude who won the is that Syracuse. is that rich cali yes okay so i mean that's like that's a stacked that's a stacked top eight yeah oh he's one of the better better delver players online for sure right and I think that if you if you expect a bunch of people playing blue red delver, I mean that deck that deck seems really good. Punishing fire takes care of most of the threats. It doesn't take care of Dreadhorde Arcanist, but like you're out grinding your opponent. They're not getting ahead with Arcanist with your you playing the deck that you're playing, right? Yeah, for sure. I, th- I think I know what you're saying. And you have, I mean, you're five colors, so you have whatever the fuck you want, really. But he has. Two plague engineers, two containment priests, and three thalias in the sideboard, which is really my kind of sideboard. Like I love that, and of course the four leyline on the void. But really, you just have these absolute fucking bullets, and they're permanent based bullets for for these different matchups, right? Yes. No, I I understand. So I thought it was like like a genius level metagame call to play a deck like that. I those decks have never appealed to me as a player but the fact that you can make that mana base work is is crazy and i know we talked about how wasteland was on a downfall and like there were a lot of these cards that used to be mana disruption that like weren't really good anymore given the meta and playing a deck like that that's like all right if nobody's going to do these things let me just do this seems um seems really really smart and I definitely wouldn't have gotten there myself, but I'm glad uh, Ozzy did. Yeah, for sure. And we see, yes, these decks, these uh, blue-red Delver decks in uh, second and third place. They obviously have four Wastelands, and Bob was playing two Stifles as well. But there are no Blood Moons in the sideboard of either deck. And I feel like that's the, the real meta shift, right? That makes four-color loam like an attractive deck again yeah but i mean like why uh what decks are you afraid of to where you would want to play blood moon that's what i'm saying that that because blood moon has left oh right right okay now you have that space i'm just saying that's another reason that i think that you have this this angle oh absolutely yeah like you can also just look of like look at the lack of the blood moon deck in the meta overall because the astrolabe decks have so many basics that like you can play four colors and play around a blood moon it's it's disgusting so i guess sort of lack of natural predation and the fact that it was a chalice deck that was well positioned made it made it a really good choice yeah for sure so 
yeah, salute that. I definitely would not pick that deck up. I mean, I can understand it post facto. You know, it makes sense looking at the results, but I would not have come to that on my own. Yeah, it's so much easier to like, obviously, everybody who's listening is like, yeah, you're looking at the list. But like, it's way easier to look at what happened and then figure out why than to Mm -hmm. sit there before and make a prediction. Like, it's just, it's, it's way harder. Yeah. And for the sake of, I guess, condensing uh, what we're talking about, fifth place was uh, Koke MTG with a similar aggro loam list. Uh, it was only like a more traditional aggro loam list. Pretty strict to junk colors with the addition of Punishing Fire. No Oko. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess one less land too. And more of a more of a green sun package although there's no actual green sun zenith so never mind yeah i mean the the decks the decks are very similar you can you can take a look at what the what the differences are and the main difference is green for oko yeah or blue for oko but yeah sorry yes blue for oko green is basically blue now so yep yeah they get uh every time i see a new spoiler card it's like they take a green card and give it a blue ability and staple it onto a creature. Yeah. Right? Like, I don't know, they're going to print like a 1-1 mana dork that when it enters the battlefield, draw three cards and put two cards from your hand on top of your library in any order. It's coming. There was definitely a time when I felt like blue-green was the most neglected color pair outside of like red-white. Yeah, but I mean like it... They always tried to print cards for them, but it never worked because blue-green by itself wasn't a good enough combination to be able to handle, like, an actual match. Like, lack removal, it, it just wasn't... Yeah, the lack of removal worked. was huge, yeah. Right, so you always had to come up with a different color. And now they're just print- printing, like, insane blue-green cards that all you have to do is just add, like, add a color for removal. Like, play blue-green-black, play Fatal Push Abrupt Decay or blue green red play lightning bolt and like throw all those cards into a deck and you got it yep so also i wanted to highlight this now because we're talking about it we have these two aggro loan decks in the top eight and then in the the bottom of the top 32 we've got 32nd bug zenith oko 28th bug zenith oko 27th maverick uh 25th maverick 31st maverick so three uh sorry five three maverick decks and two bug zenith oko decks which are are both like you know sort of half of of what aggro loam is it's just not the the diamond chalice plan right right so clearly chalice was incredibly important right like this dynamic this sort of uh, yeah but maybe maybe it's also just knight of the reliquary well, that's what I'm saying. These other decks, these Maverick decks, are none of the Reliquary decks. Right, right, right. I'm, I'm just saying that, like, maybe, maybe it just is uh, an indicator of how good Knight of the Reliquary is in the meta, meta right now. But I'm saying I think that those players had had poor records. But they still finished in the top thirty. Oh, wait a minute. I thought there were only thirty-two there players. Were, yeah, never mind. Every like when I took a look at the list you sent. Mm. I underestimated how many people, or overestimated how many people were in the event. Gotcha, gotcha. So when I saw 32, I was like, oh, that's great. 
yeah. not understanding fully until you just said it, well, there were only this many people. So you're and right. You're absolutely right. I could be right. I could, it could have been 64, I guess, but still, even... No, it, was, it was four with top eight. Yeah. So you're right, it was 32. Cool. So yeah, that was uh, sort of what it was, right? I mean, it was... It was clearly the aggro loam was what put it over the chalice aspect of the deck that, you know, yep. was big in this particular tournament. With a small field like that, I think it's easier to metagame around individual decks because you can try to narrow down what the field is going to look like given player preferences. So maybe maybe that was something that uh, that played into it as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you kind of know how many Storm players and not exactly as close, but relatively close, how many uh, Sneak and Show players you're going to see, right? Right. You're those, see are two things that, and, those are two things that would yeah. be high on my radar for playing, playing with that deck. Yep. No, you're right. So, yeah, it, it obviously it did really well. So, congrats to Osmandius and Coke MTG. And then, yeah, the next story, I guess, would be Blue Red Delver, right? Yeah, I think that if I was going to play right now, that's what I'd bring. Like, if I had a tournament to play tomorrow, I've I've played Blue Red, and I've played a bunch of similar decks that have similar play styles, and I think that it's hyper-consistent, and I really like Bob's Double Stifle build. I love that. I, I really do. I don't like the deck Blue Red Delver. Like, I don't enjoy playing it, but I do really love the two stifle it's very atypical but just to just to put fear in people's hearts like i've always been a fan of one two stifle like that's just that, that I, I just love that spot oh i completely agree i've talked or like written and posted a lot about how utility stifle is great i yeah. think two two is a great number and i mean the i generally lend or I generally tend to try to play three color combinations of Delver decks. I think the splashes are like really easy to make, but of all time, of all the times to like really hunker down your mana base, make sure that it's solid, make sure that you're not taking extra damage from your lands and that you can function. Blue red seems like it's, it's in a really good spot. Yeah, absolutely. It's always been, it's always been a good deck, right? And with the addition of Dreadhorde Arcanist, it kind of got pulled up into the, the best Delver deck conversation for the past year. Yeah, past I mean, it's always months. like... I think the, the triple-colored versions, right? Like, it was always like, all right, Grixis was on top, and then it was blue-red. Rug yeah. was on top, and then it was blue-red. And now, it just might be blue-red's time to shine, given that Rug and Bug and Grixis... I don't know. They're just not the decks they used to be. Right. Yeah, I mean, you pretty much, you know, Tarmogoyf and main deck Ogo are the considerations, and Sideboard Veil, I guess, are the considerations with going for Rug. Is that better? For certain metagames, certainly, you know. And I've always been partial to Bug, and we've actually seen, I think it won the last two ELD opens, like uh, over in over in Pat's neighborhood. Yep. But clearly there was a bias for blue red and also we're seeing in this tournament a lot of Grixis. Fourth place Condescend was playing Grixis. 
And then 12th and 13th place, we've got Grixis Delverdex. Uh, I guess I should shout out Bozo and Theo John. And then, yeah, you're you're a big fan of Bozo. Yeah. And then 23rd and 24th, Man of Man and Fish Duggery. So pretty pretty uh what would you say? Like median results for for Grixis Delver? That's not the word I'm looking for, but Yeah, no, I mean average. it's like it's expected performance. If you yeah, take a exactly. look at like how many people brought it and where it finished, it was like slightly above average but not yeah i wouldn't call it bad i would call it you know expected i guess okay no i I completely understand so these decks you know we talked about this being i guess public enemy number one right two weeks ago when we when we last looked at the metagame following bologna yeah and again legacy is so deep when you have high stakes People are going to adapt, and it would be very unlikely that we had a big tournament that had results, and then you go and have another very intense competitive tournament with a small group of extremely skilled players and see the same thing happen. I I just think that that's that's very unlikely. Mm -hmm. Now, sixth place... This is a deck, we were talking about how Aggro Loam was a metagame call and a good one. The metagame call that I probably potentially would have made, if I, if I were to make a metagame call rather than just playing the deck that I thought was the best and was most comfortable with, yep. it would have been either LED Dredge or Hogak. Yeah, I mean, like, I feel like you would feel comfortable playing LED Dredge. Like, it, it's not, and I'm probably going to get so much hate for saying this but it's not a really hard deck to pilot i would feel a hundred percent comfortable playing it online playing it in paper i would feel a lot less comfortable because of the mechanics of it i'm not used to okay so like i would you know accidentally uh forget to to say hold priority or or just like you know how would i lay out my graveyard like have it yeah, have it in front in of you. Middle. I don't yeah. know how you would be able to lay it out because you keep right. your deck right in the middle of your playmat. But so these are things that I'm I'm a little worried about playing it in paper. But online, I would be totally comfortable playing that. And Hogak, I actually in paper, I would feel fine playing. Okay, yeah, I've never so I've never played a Hogak deck, so I would definitely need to I don't know sort of run through the play patterns and all of that. But Dredge, I guess Dredge was one of my first legacy decks and the man the deck is the same and the your sideboard plans and understanding what hate your opponent's bringing in just like all your other graveyard decks is more important than your actual like play of the main deck yeah so, so. we see sixth place arcan uh 12th pl- or sorry 11th place eruxus and 17th place manila stretch scott official yeah how ballsy so- do you have to be <laughs> to bring manalist dredge to this tournament bro that's deep yeah that's that's a deep mana call right there that's a deep cut i don't know props absolutely like mucho props to them yeah one of the ideas that sorry to take this tangent but i feel like uh, it's re- very relevant one of the things that they mentioned on money draft was programming the top 500 cards in legacy to play on arena and, and basically treating it like one set like a master set or whatever and talking about you know if you could just release the top 500 cards in legacy 
and you have the backbone of legacy in place, all the other other new threats and whatever come from the new sets. So you wouldn't have to worry about that. So they were actually saying it would probably be easier to, to code legacy, even though it has a larger card pool, be easier to code legacy for arena than it would be to code modern. And in terms of the number of cards, I agree with that. But in terms of like the cards, what the cards do, it would be like coding fucking 20 sets just in terms of the mechanics right because you have cards like sylvan library delver phantasmagorian which is what made me think of this right like you're like when you develop a new set you're coding what like five six mechanics you imagine coding humility with the layering bro ex- fucking exactly so, exactly yeah. like every one of those cards is like you know one quarter of the work of a whole set right and, and, like, you you ask, I don't know, uh, 25% of the level 2 judges how humility works, and they're going to get some interaction wrong with it. 25% of level 2 judges? That's, like, seven judges, right? Wait, I don't care. Shout out to the, the judge program, Deuce. Oh, okay, hold up. I've just been hearing people bitch about it a lot. Oh, so I... I used to be one i didn't i didn't keep up with it um but i i've heard positive things about the new website and the training and all of that so i just judges are such like a an underappreciated resource for the game just understand that if you want to go and play in all of these tournaments you need one and judges do a shitload of traveling to get paid very little to stand on their feet for 18 hours and get bitched at by a bunch of magic players. Like, I don't know why somebody would choose to do that, but thank you for doing it. I don't know. That's my thank you. Thank you to the judges. Yeah. I wasn't trying to be disrespectful. I I was just making a stupid joke that I, I have heard a lot of judges sort of upset with the new arrangement. I, I don't know if it's specific to the website or, you know, just having to pay dues in general, the, the sort of optics of it. Yeah. Okay, I can understand. Sorry, I needed to come to the defense of, yeah. of judges everywhere. <laughs> I'm going to alter a white knight with you. Yeah, oh, come on. <laughs> I... No, I'm okay with that. I'm okay <laughs> with that. Bro, did you see there's a new mare folk in the, in the new set? I saw the mare folk. The mare fish fish horse yep the, listen that card's not bad i know it's it's like a two two for three but that that's a pretty sweet ability i think it has flash and when you cast a spell during your opponent's turn you draw a card is that what it was yeah so obviously like it doesn't trigger off of itself but um that that's fine i don't know if it actually had flash though i think it did okay if it did or maybe no 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 you, it was vile yeah i was talking about like yeah yeah, I don't think that this is actually a thing, but violing, violing that in and then dazing something. There you go. All right, and we then, got our first bat for our, our Theros set review. You're no, it's not. On, it's not going to see play. It is not. I All was right. I was really excited about it when I saw the card. I was like, this would be great for me when I was 13 years old learning how to play Magic with a casual stack of cards with my friend. And they'd Listeners, be like, oh. I'm gonna need you. I'm gonna need you to do the math and find out whether Magic was actually out when Tom was 13. It was. <laughs> so next up, we've got dude. 
You need to do this deck, number seven, Bara. Okay, so I talked a lot about how I really liked the Natural Order package. And, okay, you take, you take Oko, and you take Natural Order, and then you just try to build a deck around it. So you have your Mana Dorks in Noble Hierarch and Gilded Goose, and you have tutor targets like Progenitus and Huntmaster of the Fells. Man, I can't believe this is in here. I, I can't either, bro. I honestly like, cannot. That was a modern... Ah, that was a standard modern card from like a long time ago. Like, you're, you're playing three Natural Order, and you have one payoff. I, I can get behind only playing one Progenitus, but it also seems like those Natural Orders can be like can be value tutor targets to where let's say you draw your progenitus you can be like all right i'm just gonna natural order this mana dork away and get a hunt master it um it's mana neutral okay yeah mana neutral but like it it acts as a sort of tutor i don't know I no know no that. i'm saying i'm saying like you know you're paying four mana to get a four drop it's like oh five. okay yes it, it, I... it's average i guess yeah so it's um it's interesting i like this archetype right like i like natural order i like playing it in sort of a mid-range shell i think that obviously natural order is a super powerful card and rug but it hasn't been explored as a sort of like i don't want to say nick fittish package but this deck kind of plays like a blue nick fit with natural order as the payoff yeah, I'm really not a huge fan of this deck construction, I guess. And I, I'm not taking anything away from Bara. He's a great deck builder, and he obviously did. He top eight this tournament. You know, great player, great deck builder. I just, like, the risk of... And you do have Brainstorm and stuff, so the risk of drawing a Progenitus is less than something like Elves or whatever. But having your, your only backup plan be, you know, Hotmaster, like we talked about. Like, yeah. that, that's your best your best second choice and that's kind of how it has to be because you have to be ready to play a game where you never draw natural order right this is this is just our rug deck yeah now i i think that the deck that we saw in the grand prix that i was a little bit more excited about had it had astrolabe just like this one but it had white and it played the green white flyer that elvis plays in the sideboard that can lock exactly, down a certain yeah. spell type yeah and i really like having that as your backup threat because it's potentially hard castable. Like, six is a lot in Legacy, and if you're playing against a Daze deck, you're probably not going to resolve it, but you're playing a bunch of mana dorks. I feel like that, I would include that and try to find a way to make the mana work. Yeah, I love that. Ar the Archon Valor's Reach. Yes. Yeah, you have so many mana dorks, you know, and you're, you're a 19 land deck. This is, you know, not, not unthinkable to be able to cast those cards. What do you think about three Gilded Goose, two Noble Hierarch? I don't like it. Like, <laughs> the Red and Six isn't around anymore, and I know that you have synergy with the Food Token and Oko, but uh, what are you afraid of now? I mean, you can, you know, you can gain life. That's that's not nothing. I, I don't know. It's pretty close to nothing. It, it is, yeah. So...
maybe maybe plague engineer maybe uh maybe forked bolt but yeah yeah i think those are the two things that come to my mind but i think i would still play more hierarch so which other humans are there i guess there's tireless tracker tireless snapcaster mage yeah i really wouldn't be too worried about about plague engineer huntmaster yep yeah, so only Snapcaster for, for power of one, and that's not really a disaster by any stretch. Yep. So yeah, I don't know, man. I think uh I think I would at least be running the split the other way, but I, I would probably be on four one. But yeah. I'm not as good as they are. So I'm exactly. sure that there's a very good reason why they have to split that way. So eighth place, we see our first depths deck. This is the first depths deck I've seen in a long time, man. I forgot this deck existed. No, you didn't. <laughs> no i didn't but this is a this is a very conventional once upon a time build right we see like four elvish reclaimer i hadn't seen that in a while so i kind of like it yeah it's um it's not new there's nothing in here that you're like oh that's an innovation it's the once upon a time deck you know what I feel like pointing out? Three Mox Diamond, while not an innovation for this particular tournament, it is an innovation on the archetype in general, right? Because for the longest time, they weren't doing that. It was just like when you were lotus splashing pedal. blue. Yeah, it was like a Lotus Petal deck. And I really like that it's a Mox Diamond deck. I always thought that that was correct anyway. But I, w- I didn't actually play the deck, so I couldn't prove it. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad to see that now. It just looks like a better deck to me. Yeah, I mean... If you take a look at the aggregate results from this tournament, Mox Diamond performed very well. It did, yeah. So, I think that... uh, I mean, Mox Diamond is a good card. So, there's a reason why all of the decks that play it have their best hands, and sometimes specifically mulligan to Mox Diamond to make it work. Yeah. So, ninth place... This is the, the spicy deck of the tournament, man. This is uh, Lane Staley, um, May 8th, 1993, playing Twin, Blue-White-Red Twin. What do you want to call this? Um, uh, uh, so, obviously, like, it, it's Twin. But... I, I feel like it's more just like a like a blue white red mid range deck, like this deck was around in standard for a little bit. It was just a blue white red blade deck that also had Splinter Twin and Exarch, and I I really I really think that most of the ter- most of the players who were playing against this person had no idea the twin kill was coming, right? Like you're playing against it and you're like, oh, okay, it's Astrolabe. It's uh, it's the blue, white, red mentor shell. And then they just get killed out of nowhere when they didn't expect it. Yeah. So I think that this deck picks up a ton of sort of win percentage equity when nobody knows what you're doing. But now that this deck is out there and the list is there, when you're playing against people, they'll be like, oh, is this the twin deck or is this a mentor deck? Right. So I don't know. So there's this other aspect. I actually played Twin for one tournament for like a TJ's when it was like Deathrite Grixis Twin with like Blood Moon, you know, like that Deathrite four color bullshit. 
Yeah. It's basically just like, you know, a chat pile of a twin deck. And that's gross. It was a good deck, you know, it was not a great deck, but it was a good deck. Uh, Tommy top eight at that tournament with it. And I think, uh, I think twin has always been right on the cusp. I I feel like it's very hard to justify in in a show and tell format, but it's always sort of just on the cusp of, of being reasonable. Yep. And like you said, if nobody expects it, then it becomes reasonable. But I think that there's one thing to shout out about this deck that I really, as soon as I heard Twin, I looked for this and it was there. The Veil of Summers in the sideboard, even though we call this Blue White Rat, it's an Astrolabe deck, so they're playing Veil of Summer in the sideboard. Yep. That's a fucking Twin card right there. Oh, absolutely. Like, the fact that it not only like proactively shuts off uh discard but it actually stops removal on your creature is is insane and you can lead with it exactly like you don't have to play it as a reactive spell you can just like you can just cast veil and then make them react to you otherwise it's over so yeah it's it's really good yeah really hot and i think that really sort of Make, makes it puts it over the edge into what I call, I guess, a reasonable choice. Yep, I still, it's got an asterisk next to to for me on yep. the reasonable side. Yep. Like, you just can't show up to a tournament with this and be like, "All right, this is the deck." Yeah, but people, you know, people historically, it's shown up now and then and, and done reasonably well. So I, I can see how. If that's what you own, right? Like, you, you don't really own all the cards to make a single legacy deck. I wouldn't feel bad about bringing that. Okay, no, absolutely not. But I feel like you could just get mentors. Yeah. But like, if and, you have all of this stuff, you have a few other legacy decks as well. You could get mentors and finish outside the top nine, like all the Miracles players. Okay, you're right. You're probably <laughs> so, right. So 10th place, Andy S.C. Wilson. Uh, 16th place, Mental Misstep, who was also in the modern uh, format playoff. Uh, 20th, uh, Lewer, and 21st, uh, Kafuria were the Miracles players. So pretty average, but you know, not not exciting performance from the four color snow Miracles. Yes, middling, middling results. There you go. Yep. Very middling. And these lists, I mean, we've talked about them. I think everybody knows what to expect at this point from Four Colors Snow Miracles. Yes. I didn't really go through the lower lists to see if there was anything too exciting in them, but so I'm just I, doing that. I think it was a lot of the same. Like, you see slight changes in the Blue-Red Delver Shell. You see uh, some Maverick... You see some uh, repeat lists from Blue Red. It's yeah. um, it was a tight field. A lot of the lists were similar. There was nothing. There, there was nothing crazier than this twin deck. Yeah. So we're we're not going to talk about Sneak and Show. JPA did come in 18th with Sneak and Show, but then the last unique deck was a 29th place finish from Stacks and a 14th place finish from Godalicious with Death and Taxes. Yeah, I mean, Death of Taxes, it's not, it's not spicy, right? No, no, but I mean, this is your deck, man. You guys talk about the specifics. Do I, do I really? We've got a remorseful cleric 
if we if you, anybody wants to rewind the tape, that's a card I picked as a one of in Death and Taxes. Did and you the, really? Yeah, dude. I, I own probably at least 20 copies of that card. I thought it was going to for sure be a one-off. And it hasn't really shown up since like the first couple of weeks. But here it is now. Yeah, I I obviously can see that it's playable. But I I don't know that if I would run, I would run it into a field uh, like this. I guess the thought was you, you're expecting more graveyard hate. You're expecting more graveyard decks, so you might as well play something like this, but that's literally the only card that is different than all of the other Death and Taxes lists we've talked about. A lot of the time we're seeing two Mirror and Crusader, or we're seeing an extra Recruiter. It's 59 of 60, and everything else is the same. I think there is one thing that warrants consideration discuss, discussing about this Death and Taxes deck. Uh, got Alicious in 14th place. No, no Tomics. Okay, well, you, you said I forgot that Depths was a deck. Yeah. So when you look back into like what Tomic was doing, it was doing a lot against Depths. It was doing a lot against uh, Elves. Red. Sorry, Red uh, Lands and Red and Six. Yeah. Um, but it just it's it's not necessary now. Yeah, it, it kind of broke my heart because I'd been high on that card too. But it, it does kind of make sense to me that we do see a few Depths players show up for this tournament specifically, but it really has fallen off in terms of, of numbers overall. And there's no lands decks, like you mentioned, in this this uh, tournament. So, Remorseful Cleric and the Not Overtonic. Yep. And that does make your mana requirements for the deck just just a tiny tiny bit softer right yeah i mean you don't need the double white on turn two so like you always have those like single white mana hands with death and taxes that can function really well but double white can get in the way and now you only have one mirror crusader a palace jailer and a sanctum prelate so your mana requirements are a little better but like that's so so corner case like very I i don't know I mean, statistically speaking, you're less likely, more likely than not, not to have two white in your opening hand in a 14-white deck. Right, but by the time you want to get around to playing a card like uh, Palace Jailer... Right, oh yeah, you'll, you'll be good, yeah. Right, yeah, so... So yeah, you know, casting Tomic on turn two is is a bit of an ask, you know? That That's all. That was my point, I guess. Yeah, yeah your point is well taken. And Remorseful Cleric not being a uh, human relevant. That's true. What other, does... what other clerics are there? Sanctum Prelate is a cleric? Yeah. And I was wondering whether Giver of Runes was in addition to Mother of Runes, but there is no Giver of Runes in this deck. Yeah, because Mom, yeah, without the, worrying about the one toughness stuff, Mom is just better. I guess Plague Engineer hits this deck way harder, though, so... Maybe there's a a need for a split, but we didn't see I'm kind of surprised not to see the split. i got to be honest, man. I'm surprised not to see the split here. So, yeah, that's the the format playoff. Congratulations to everybody who played. I think this is a very representative snapshot of the metagame. I would say that the deck that I'm most surprised to see not show up is Hogak, as we've kind of discussed. 
And is there anything else that I'm missing that you think you would have expected to see? I, I obviously, I didn't check exactly who was qualified before this tournament happened. But I think that if you asked me what was going to happen in the beginning of the year, before mm-hmm. all of these tournaments happened, I would have said that there would have at least been a few storm pilots, right? Yeah, good point. Yeah, the lack of of ant or test that that is actually something I forgot to mention. That's a huge, uh, yep, huge note to make, I guess. So. So yeah, overall, pretty interesting snapshot of the meta game. Uh, this is where we are. We've got the Leaving a Legacy coming up on February first. I can't wait for that. It's going to be so much fun. Dude, I'm I'm definitely excited for that. I was thinking, man, about like just legacy, like what this format play I've had me thinking about like you know, what what is legacy now? You know like those like nice spring days, like the snow is melting and you show up to the one K, like you drive to like Rhode Island or Connecticut or something with your friends and you show up and there's a bunch of people there and there's some good players and you know, you're just like excited to play legacy against good players or whatever. Yeah, you're coming out of your winter hibernation. Yeah, yeah. You you just want to jam and like the snow is melting and there's that smell in the air of the grass coming through. Yeah. And you have your deck that you've tested and you're so pumped to go there and then you like you uh you two two drop and you question your life playing magic. <laughs> yeah. But... Excuse me. <laughs> I'm sorry. <coughs> But at least it's nice out, and you can do do something. But that's true. Basically, well, thanks to global warming, we February first we can expect some spring like weather, hopefully. Absolutely, I think we can that hit a golf course afterwards. We should take all of our Patreon money, and we should buy some land in like, uh, in Northeast Canada. Oh, bro, don't tempt me. I'm just, I'm just saying that like that's gonna be the spot. Massachusetts will be the new Florida. Bro, I'm not I'm not saying that half the group chats I'm in are doomsday prep, but a non-zero number of yeah, I'm saying, group like, chats are doomsday like, just prep. Just take our Patreon money, we'll buy uh, months supplies of freeze-dried food that will last 25 years, and uh, we'll go to Canada. Google homesteading. <laughs> Okay, I, I'm not going to do that now, but I, I promise I will do that before the next cast. All right, bro. Is that a wrap? We good? Yeah, we got we got anything else? No, uh, Ian eighteen one twenty five. Uh, I'll still, I'll still uh, be on Twitter for at least the next twenty four hours. Yeah, before you get your your flip phone. Now, if you do get a flip phone, everybody, I promise that I will. Uh, I'll take a picture of it with my smartphone and post it on Twitter to show everybody what he's working with. You got to pick up the slack on the Discord, man. I know. Right. So. Yeah, I do. I do. You're right. I'm not going to be available on football. So, at Ian eighteen one five at T Smiley uh, at Dead Format Cast. What else? Uh, that's a wrap.